Hello. Welcome. We are the intern ministers at Community Church of New York in Manhattan. We are Unitarian Universalists in the process of becoming ordained clergy. In this podcast, we delve into the life of an intern minister. We explore the ways our lives and internships intersect and how this is ministerial formation. I'm Megan Henry. I'm Carrie McAvoy. And we're... And we're... Revving up! up. (laughs) Hello, beloveds. We are here with Revving Up, the intern ministers at Community Church of New York podcast with my dear friend and colleague, Carrie McAvoy, and me, Megan Henry, we two intern ministers, and we are embarking on this episode this week where we're going to be talking about death. We talk about uh, mourning rituals and grief and um, ways uh, that we process death as much as we can in our short little episode today, but certainly feels like the right time of year to be doing it. Um, Right now it's October, the leaves are changing, it's getting cold out, and this is on our mind. So yeah, welcome to Revving Up, and we would love to hear from you. As always, please reach out to us at podcast at ccny.org. Or and or join our Facebook group Revving Up and post um, questions and comments there. Also, we want to remind you that we have a live event coming up in December that we're very excited about and um, more on that to come. So welcome and Carrie, let's, um, let's get into it. Let's get into talking about death. Let's talk about death. Hi, everybody. So um, we thought about this uh, topic because towards the end of our last session, um, we talked about how the one certain thing is li- in life is that death will come to us all. And many of us uh, will know people who have died. And yet with this ever-present certainty of death, our American culture does not do a very good job of talking about it or acknowledging it or um, dealing with grief. So um, this is some. This is a topic. Um, I'm not to be morbid or anything, but I, I like to talk about it. Um, my husband passed away three years ago, and so uh, death has been very present in my life. In fact, Mm -hmm. just yesterday, I um, interred his ashes. So um, I have uh, been very corporally involved with death and grief, and it has been part of my ministerial journey. So um, Megan, you talked about um, doing a couple of memorial services over the summer, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to hear more about those. Okay. Yes. I would love to tell you about them. And then if you're comfortable talking about it, I would love to hear about 
um, the ashes interment that you did yesterday. Um, so the, the two memorials that I did this summer were very different from one another. It was very interesting how different they were from one another. And also they both happened on the same day and at the same cemetery. Like it was just this thing that happened. I had one of them came to me from a referral early in the summer or even in the spring. And I um, got in touch with the family and we communicated back and forth. We had a Zoom. We talked about um, the man who had died and he died of COVID during the height of the worst of COVID in the spring of 2020 died, you know, way too young, um, adult children, some young grandchildren. He was very, still very lively and active. And um, his, um, his wife was um, pretty much, you know, the one who was driving the conversations around the ceremony and the memorial. And um, interestingly, well, I mean, they had, she and her daughter, who I spoke with, had some ideas about what they might want to have happen during that, the ceremony, the, the service to remember him and to honor his life and celebrate his life and mourn his death and then enter the ashes at the cemetery. And we, um, I had a template as an intern minister, I was like, you know, came into the conversation with like, I have a template, here's, you know, one way that we could do this just so we had something to go from. Because um, oftentimes I find that when, when um, I meet with someone about a ceremony like this or, or a wedding or a baby dedication, they may have some ideas about what might happen during that ceremony, but not really a strong sense of a, an exact structure and everything. So I try to, I bring that. And I bring um, some readings and just some ideas and some, you know, uh, outline to what the ceremony could be like. So we had some good conversations. We talked, we emailed back and forth. We put together the ceremony. It was all very um, thoughtful and organized and planned, way planned in advance. And it had been uh, over a year since he died. So there had been time for the family to do some processing. And um, then the other memorial that I um, did was an ashes interment in the same cemetery and it came to me very last minute just a few days before the um, before they wanted to have the ceremony which happened to fall on this coincide with the same day as the other one <laughs> um, luckily at the same cemetery and they um, it was the mother of adult children the adult children contacted me um, and they had been they didn't have um, they'd had no faith community that any of the siblings, um, how many children, four maybe, um, that any of them, uh, none of them attended church <laughs> or any kind of faith community. So they didn't have a minister to bring in for this. And they had remembered that they thought that their mother had at one point gone to um, the Unitarian Church in Brooklyn. So they thought that, well, we'll just, we'll, we'll see if anybody there could do it to do the service. And it was, it was last minute, it was short notice and they wanted to do it very quickly. Um, so I was scrambling to, and, and they were deep in the throes of grief. They were very shocked by her death. It was, it happened in the hospital. 
it was, um, you know, she was there. They thought that everything was going to be okay. They were not expecting her to die. And then next thing they know, she's gone. She's dead. And they're just shocked. So they were very, very much grieving. And so they weren't really in a very good, they didn't, they were not in a place to plan and to talk and to think through what, what should happen. I asked them if they wanted to wait a little while since it was ashes, you know, I thought that maybe they could wait a little while and, you know, kind of process things and work together, talk to each other, you know, sometimes in these situations that you know, like this, the, the grieving parties are not talking to each other or they're just, you know, they're, so it was a very different um, kind of ceremony. And interestingly, um, they had a couple of ideas of things that they thought should, should happen. And they were very, um, they, they were things that seemed um, very Catholic to me. And I, you know, was very clear to them that I'm not Catholic and they were completely okay with that. But they, there were some prayers that they wanted very specifically. And it was, it was fine. It was wonderful. It was good, but it was very different from the other one, which was super planned out. You know what I mean? And that people had had time to process their grief. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a really interesting juxtaposition between the two kinds of, um, kinds of memorials that one might, might have and be involved in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are, um, as individual as the death, I think. Um, Shortly before my husband died, my sister died, and she was Catholic, and um, so she had a Catholic uh, open casket um, mass and funeral, and um, in that moment, I realized how ritual can be really helpful in those times of life when you don't know what's going on. It was just um, a roadmap. There were certain elements of it that I found very useful, even though I'm not Catholic. Um, and one of the things that I really um, found out that I that was really helpful in the grieving process was the, the the seeing the body and seeing the body exit the funeral, get into the hearse and drive away. And for me, that was very embodied. It was okay. I know this person is dead. I have seen them in the coffin, and they have gone through the church and out the door and away so it is it happened it, they are dead and um that was a really useful thing for me to know when my husband died because my husband died in another state he had been traveling and so um I knew that I needed to see his body and I needed to see it go away and um so for me there's definitely that corporeal part and the, um, I was a little surprised with the, with the ash interment, um, how much it affected me. I wasn't exactly sure how it would feel. It was, it's been over three years since he passed and um, his ashes have been in my bedroom in a container. Um, and it was, it was hard letting him go, you know? Um, yeah. And, um, my dog also died a couple of weeks ago, so I went through this process with her, and the, the people that came and picked her up did the same thing. I didn't even say anything. They picked her up, they put her on a stretcher, they wrapped her in a blanket and kept her head visible until they put her in the car. I said mm. goodbye, and they covered her head and drove her away. So it's, it's a thing, this, this mm -hmm. seeing the body. And um, 
I think about, you know, people lost at sea or missing in action or those moments where it, it's not certain that death has occurred and how difficult that must be. And, I feel um, like that must have happened during COVID, yeah? Yeah, I wonder about that too. I wonder about that too, particularly in the beginning where mm -hmm. um, didn't know how, how much, how, um, what am I trying to say? Um, well, I don't think people were able to see the bodies. I'm not sure, but I think because of, uh, yeah, they didn't know about transmission and, you know, there was just like a lot, a lot of unknown about right. coronavirus. Right. And it seems like, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on where you were at, you know, during that time. But certainly, um, where I am in New York City, there were um, there was so much death, and there were so many bodies that they were being stored in refrigerated trailers outside of the hospitals. And then they did do a temporary um, mass grave um, to keep the bodies for a while. And then I think that they were then transferred to. Uh, it, it just, yeah, I yeah. I know also like at the one cemetery where I've spent a lot of time because it's beautiful and it's where a lot of local people get um, buried and interred and the, the, the Unitarian Church in Brooklyn has a plot there. They, um, they had to have their um, cre crematorium going much um, like not 24 seven because they didn't have the people power to have it running that much but way more than usual and it was you know I think it was like 10 hours a day or something like that that they had to keep it going um and they could not they couldn't handle all of the um, bodies that needed to be cremated so you know I, I keep thinking and wondering about this how because we have been in this global pandemic and there's been so much death and because as a culture here in the US, we have tended to separate ourselves as much as possible from death and sanitize it. And, you know, I'll, I'll you know, just tried to almost ignore it, that what does something like um, the pandemic do to possibly alter and shift us culturally towards um, having more of an awareness mm -hmm. of death and being more just um, not even just more aware, but just like willing to talk about it, willing to think about it, willing to face it. And mm -hmm. um, it'll be really interesting. There must be some big thesis papers being written about this now. And I'm mm -hmm. interested to know what people find. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about, um, I found in my life, the more I am able to contemplate death, the more I'm able to live. Like, and that was, and that was part of um, the loss of William and to a certain extent, my sister and to an extent, extent animals. It's like, it, it puts me in touch with my priorities more hmm. being uh, reminded of the inevitability of death and, and um, how it's, it's easy for me to fall into, I'm going to live forever. And today's just any other day. And then death um, thinking about death reminds me that that's not the case, that life is finite and that every day is precious. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible, Carrie. I mean, as soon as you said that, um, 
being closer to death makes you feel more alive. I wanted to know more. He's like, tell me more about that. And this is, and then you just, you just explained it so well, that makes so much sense that the more we are just like when people have near death experiences or something like, um, uh, if you get hurt very badly, or if you're in an accident or something that, that where it's just suddenly like, oh, I'm reminded of the fact that I am, that life is precious mm-hmm. and that, um, and then we forget again, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting how we, <laughs> we, we do that, but, um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense of how, when we are thinking about death and we are aware of death, mm-hmm. it reminds us to be grateful for and aware of and present with our lives and what, what, what we have every moment we have. Mm-hmm. And there's something really sacred in that moment of death happening, not just for the person dying, but the people left behind. Like there's, um, and I think that's the power of chaplaincy or ministering to people in that space because it is such a raw time and um, we want to grab on, make meaning of it somehow. And um, like in that moment, some people want to take responsibility for the, the death. Like I had something to do with it because that gives me kind of a sense of agency. Like I wanted to say, oh my goodness, I could have done something to prevent my husband from dying. You know, and that's just me trying to make sense of it, trying to have some agency in something that I really have no agency over. And um, just that moment where everything you thought was is no longer. Mm. Um, And in, in that space, it was, for me, it was really, these things do not matter it's these, it's these things, it's, it's being present, it's being alive, it's love, and um, just the acknowledgement that grief is love with nowhere to go, it's like those moments where you want to express your love, it's like, it's still love, but it's just nowhere to go. Did you just say that grief is love with nowhere to go? Mm -hmm. Mm. I've never heard that before. That's really incredible. And so whenever I grieve William, it's like, this is, this is love mm-hmm. and it belongs and um, it will always be there. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, there's just something really sacred being with someone in that space. Oh yeah. And one of you, one of the things you were talking about with, with, being in that space and that sacred time reminded me of a phrase that I heard recently. I think it was like time out of time, time outside of time. It's, it's a different kind of time. It's mm-hmm. so interesting too, because the thing it makes me think of right away is when a baby is born, there's this time that it's a different kind of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in, and yes, you're right. That's the, it's, same kind of thing with when someone dies yeah I think that um the theological concept is this is like the third time this this concept has come up this week of chronos time versus kairos time and these are yeah yeah, these are greek terms chronos time is what um western society is used to it's lunch at noon bedtime at 10 
you're at work for eight hours a day, you take a coffee break, you know, time is linear, time goes in a predictable way. And then there's this concept of Kairos time, which is, I sense kind of more like relationship time. Like um, when I'm sitting with a patient in the hospital, I, I, I called it hospital time. The first time I experienced it was when my husband was in the hospital with a, mm -hmm. with a um, heart attack. And it's just that it's um, waiting to, to find out what's going on, being with the person. It's not like you even need to talk about anything, but just being present. And time just takes on this whole relationship-centered kind of kind of quality. So spending time with a baby is, is similar to that or birth or death or, um, you know, there's so many, or church, a church experience can be Cairo's time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I notice um, oftentimes on, um, well, in, in our tradition, many of us go to church on Sunday mm -hmm. and um, I've noticed sometimes people will be like, come out of the service and just kind of be like, what, what even time is it? You know, just like not even knowing kind of, well, was that an hour? Was that two hours? Was an hour and a half? I don't even know. I wasn't even, it was just people because people are just being safe, being present in that sacred space mm -hmm. and not thinking about, I don't know. Yeah. The, the schedule to time and, and being on that schedule. Well, Carrie, I'm interested to know if you would, um, would you be willing to share a little bit about your um, ceremony and um, what, how you interred William's ashes mm -hmm. yesterday? Was there a, was there a ceremony around it? Was there any, what, what was, in, what felt important to you to have happen during that time? So um, the ceremony started um, the memorial garden is up a hill and there's this old, um, I think it's an oak tree that just goes over where William's plot is. And uh, the hole had already been dug and um, there was a box of William's ashes and um, there was a ceremonial shell spoon that uh, the minister placed in his ashes and um, the minister said, read a couple of readings. Um, all of William's family was, was there as well. And then the minister invited us to come and put a scoop of ashes into the hole. And so, and say something if we wanted to. And um, I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say. And also like as a minister, I'm called on to say things all the time for other people. And it's like, I don't wanna do, I, I just wanna be a mourner, you know? I just wanna be here. Um, people know, people, everyone know, here knows that my not saying something says nothing about the love and the meaning he has in my life and always will. So I, um, I put a scoop of ashes in, in, the, in the hole and then each, each one did the same and his nieces and nephews who are becoming adults each said something and just how much of an influence he had on their lives was so wonderful to hear and how what, they're becoming wonderful human beings. And um, so that was just, that was really wonderful. And, um, and then uh, 
after we'd we'd done that, um, the minister put the rest of the ashes in the hole and said another reading and then um, invited us to put a scoop of dirt on the ashes, mm. which we did. And then, um, and then we filed out. It sounds beautiful and very meaningful and also so um, just like real and in it. I mean, you're touching the ashes, you're touching his ashes, you're scooping them. It wasn't just they were in a box and you never saw them and, they were, and the box was put in or something. Mm -hmm. It's like you're mm -hmm. getting in there and mm -hmm. just to me, that feels very authentic and um just so so much closer to uh him by you know I don't know that's just it's that's really powerful I've mm -hmm. never experienced that before mm -hmm. it's really in my in my experience again the corporeal nature mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. we all loved him we all hugged him we all were there in, in yeah. person and so that that corporeal ashes ashes to ashes dust to dust i think is really powerful so powerful wow wow it's really beautiful well thank you for sharing that and also thank you for naming what it feels like to be someone who is in a leadership role so often and how there are times when you just need to not be the person who is speaking and leading and, you know, when, in order to truly be able to partake in that um, ceremony that is so sacred and precious and special, mm -hmm. it needed to not be you, for you, you needed to not be speaking, you needed to not be leading. I mean, did you even, did you choose the readings or anything like that? Or did you just let it all be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, this is my minister. He knew William very well. And um, so there was that, la that layer of trust. So, yeah. you know, it's each one is different. It's um, coming from what are your espoused religious thoughts? What are your religious upbringing? You know, all of that comes into play. And, and you mentioned how the people who um, you were supporting in the memorial service wanted some Catholic elements, even though they're not Catholic. There's just our, we, I think in times of with that we don't know what's going on, that's when we pull from places that we didn't even know were there. And, and it's a time when people realize, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's, I think just in kind of everyday life, sometimes people it's easier for them to think that they don't need a religious community. They don't need a faith community, right? Like they don't need that. Like mm -hmm. who wants to have to take time out of their week to do this or that or whatever. It's just like extra. But then when the really like biggest things that happen in our lives happen mm -hmm. is when we need that kind of community, that kind of uh, leadership and guidance. And yet for so many people, it's thought of as uh, an afterthought and aside until, until it's like the biggest thing. It's like, yep. you know, like births and marriages and deaths and all of these really important moments in our lives, rites of I, passage. I needed to be held up 
mm-hmm. in that moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is when I really, really understood what community was. Mm-hmm. And that realization mm-hmm. is part of why I'm becoming a minister now. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It, because now, because you want to be a part of what help, does that for others. I want to remind people that we need each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's joy, there, and not just need, there is joy in being in a community. Mm-hmm. In, in, sorry, what was the last Much thing? Much joy. Just, it's Much joy, yeah. Needing and being in that community and joy in needing it and having it fulfilled, but also being part of the fulfilling it for others. You know, it's such a mutual relationship. Reciprocity. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if we are all interconnected and part of an interdependent web. We are. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, here we are in this time of the year when so many um, cultures and religious traditions view, understand the veil between life and death to be at its thinnest, mm-hmm. um, which happens right at you know end of October, beginning of November, and have these have um, ceremonies and rituals to mark this time of year and. Um, I feel very, it always feels like a very special time of year to me. And I've noticed that um, certainly, you know, as a child, I celebrated Halloween and wore a costume and went trick or treating and, you know, kind of, you know, a way of uh, almost like making fun of it all or something like that. But, and certainly as I've gotten older, I've, and and been deeply embedded in, in faith community, I've realized how important it is to have a time when we honor our ancestors, when we recognize that there are people who've been so important in our lives, in our world, who have died. And to recognize or just the idea that we might be able to somehow have a way of, um, it's like a, um, expressing our gratitude to them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and doing that on an, an annual basis, if not more often, but certainly mm-hmm. having a time of year when we really just sit with that and think about that and remember mm-hmm. those yeah. who have died. Yeah. It's such a special time. It is a special time. Yeah. Yeah. To honor, to remember, to acknowledge those places in our bodies that are grieving and just make space to be there for a little while and make it make our loved ones alive once again well yeah and I think um so many of us do that in different ways and I I would love to hear from our listeners slash viewers of ways that you are um ways that you remember um, those who have gone before, those who have died, um, those who've transitioned. Um, I know we have a lot of different ways of um, phrasing that and um, 
Carrie and I have been very intentionally using the word death um, quite a bit during this podcast um, in order to call. So partially a little bit, we talked before about in order to call a little bit of attention to the fact that we have so many ways of talking about death without actually saying death. And sometimes, sometimes what we need is to just say what it is. Um, And um, that's where we were today, which is why we were we're doing saying that. Um, So thank you all so much for, um, we feel you here with us. And we hope that our, um, our conversation and our sharing today is um, sparks some ideas, some thoughts, um, some things for you to think about. And we would love to hear from you if it does spark um, and if, or if there's something that you disagree with that we said, <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out to us at um, podcast at ccny.org. And um, we also have a Facebook group, which we mentioned at the beginning, and it is in the, uh, whatever we call those notes that come along with this podcast. Um, So please uh, look us up, uh, revving up with Carrie and Lincoln. Is there any, are there any last things that you would like to say, Carrie? No, I just uh, thank you viewers and listeners for being brave to listen to this podcast about death. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and uh, we, it's the, this is a conversation that we would love to open up for anyone who wants to participate always. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also look forward to our live event in December. Woo woo. That's right. Yeah, we do. All right. Well, have a great uh, morning, afternoon, evening, day, wherever you are, whatever time it is. We love you. Take care. Be safe. And we will see you soon.